uh, take a look at, ironically, not ironically, we're continuing to study what we, uh, what the Lord's revealed about His Holy Spirit, and today, this is literally what I wrote at the top of my journal, is Holy Spirit Love. So, I didn't just write that, I wrote that when the Lord had given that, and then what He's done here this morning, confirming with vision, confirming with prophecy, He's a God who loves us, and is depositing in us Himself, and does that by the power of His Holy Spirit. So, just to catch you up, we've been looking at what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? We asked some questions a few weeks ago. People had questions about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. It's God's Spirit. It's Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit in one, in three persons, three unique individual persons, yet one God. And so, the Holy Spirit is none other than the Spirit of Jesus, And understanding who Jesus is helps you understand who the Holy Spirit is. Because the Bible says that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I love the vision that Bill saw because what he saw was evergreens. Green is a picture of life. We have everlasting life. The love of God, the mist of God goes out into those evergreens. We are like a picture of those evergreens, those people who have ever-living life so that we spread out and nourish other people for ever-living life. You know, it's a beautiful vision of what God gave this morning. And I love the, the part about the butter, because when Moses came down from the mountain, he was shining with the glory of God, like he'd been slathered with what God had done. And the butter, if you get butter on you, it sticks to you. And so I love that God used that to help us understand you're not walking out of here with something like water on a duck's back. You're walking out of something that's smeared on you Amen. and therefore is a nourishment. And that's why the Bible says yes. to continually be filled with the Spirit because your smear can rub off if you continue walking around. You need to get back and get an anointing, get a fresh smear. <laughs> I know that's good for the Jewish people in here. <laughs> with some locks, some bagels, <laughs> some smear. Johnny's up here saying, yeah, don't talk about it, I'm hungry. <laughs> Amen. But what, we're, what we've understood thus far, and we've, we went through many things, but we've come to this place of understanding that the Holy Spirit, although He is like the wind, so it's hard to see Him come and hard to see Him go and not be able to confine Him and restrain Him, He's not like the wind in that He's flippant and frivolous. He's very purposeful in everything He does. Jesus never wasted a word and He never wasted an action. He never wasted a moment. He didn't do anything until He saw the Father do it. He didn't say anything until He heard the Father say it. The Holy Spirit is the same. So, there's no chasing after a Holy Spirit that is this whimsical, wild, who knows what He's going to do. He's very clear that He came to glorify Jesus Christ. Amen. So his, the Spirit of God is going to continue to be purposeful in what He does. However, since He's purposeful, He's also able to break up your formulas as fast as you create them. Amen. And so, you know, denominations and things that get rooted and grounded in trying to make doctrine out of a particular verse, and we looked at that, Acts 2.38, Peter says to the, to the Jewish people in Jerusalem after the falling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Let's back up one, which was a second act of the power of the Holy Spirit. The first act of the disciples receiving the Spirit was in John 20, 22. Jesus himself looked at 11 men and said, receive the Spirit, and breathed on them. In that moment, everything became an awareness of, now we get it. 
Now we understand what you were saying. Now we have, no longer are we natural men who try to follow a supernatural man. Now we are supernatural ourselves because we've received that spirit. However, that was not sufficient for their journey. And Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1, those same 11, among other 119, 109 people, he said, so the 120, he said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. He said, what I've given you is supernatural, but there's an additional amount of power you need before you go out into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus wouldn't send something that was unnecessary for the believer. So he's saying to 11 guys who received the Spirit through Jesus' own breath, he's saying, guys, stay in Jerusalem because there's something else coming. Okay, so it's the second work of the Holy Spirit pours out. So now Peter and everybody gets receives this. And Psalm 104 says that his angels are ministers of fire, and they are like, the, he rides the wind. And so now they're gathered, 120 people, and the mighty rushing wind comes in, which Psalm 104 says he rides on that wind. And then he says his ministers of fire and tongues of fire set on their heads. They begin to extol God. The purpose of the tongues was that they were exalting Jesus. They were exalting God, declaring the mighty works throughout Jerusalem. And it, the Bible is very clear. All these foreign people understood what they were saying, and they were declaring the mighty works of God. <laughs> So there was a purpose in it. It wasn't just to say, oh, all 120, you guys got tongues. Thumbs up. Way to be good and religious. No, it was God's love to the nations that went out of people's mouths. And that God's love, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, is God's love continually being poured out. And so in that time, Peter says to 3,000 people that are standing there, he says, we're not drunk with wine. We're believing in the power of Jesus Christ. He said to wait in Jerusalem. We waited. We received. What you now hear and see has been poured out of heaven. They're hearing them speak in tongues. They're seeing them, and they appear to be drunk with wine. Because why? The Spirit is awesome. And He's better than wine. He's better than what people try to get drunk for. He's better than what people try to get high for. He's better than what people try to seek on this planet. So, yeah, it looks to the, to the natural man, whoa, there must be some other explanation. But Peter says this, Repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us and to all who believe now and both and in the future. So he's declaring a formula, if you want to call it that, right up until you read to Acts 10. And then you get to Acts 10, and, he, and Peter gets called, goes, says, go to Cornelius' house, who is a Gentile, and he has to learn this through a vision of reptiles, and God saying, kill the reptiles and eat them. And Peter's like, no, Lord, like, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm a good, religious, righteous young man, you know? Why are you trying to defile me, God? Like, again, here's Peter's formula crumbling. And God says, don't call what I've called clean, unclean. Because you're going to the Gentiles. And he sends him and says, these men are coming. They take him to Cornelius' house. And in the middle of this time, Cornelius had a vision from heaven, an angelic appearance that came. Cornelius believed it. And called for Peter, he obeyed what the voice of the angel told him to do, and what was the response? Peter comes in, starts to tell him about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit looks in the room and says, these people already believe, Peter hasn't finished his message, and I don't care. And the Holy Spirit falls because they believe. Peter and all the Jewish men are like, whoa, they just got what we got. We know Jesus said he only came for the lost tribe of Israel, or for the, the lost people of Israel, but now God's pouring this out on Gentiles? And they all were in awe of how generous God was. Amen. And they all began speaking in tongues. And then Peter says, Who are we that we should withhold water for their baptism? Amen. 
Your formula just went out the door. If you think you've got to be water baptized to receive the Holy Spirit, it's not true. It's believing. It's the root of all things that Jesus said this. The work of God is this. Believe in the one He sent. If you believe in Jesus and you walk in Jesus, you will have what the Bible says are signs and wonders that follow you. Not because you want the signs and wonders and to be elevated by them. It's simply because you want Jesus and you believe Him. And where you go, you leave a trail of signs and wonders. And the bad thing for us is if we are plowing and we're leaving a trail of signs and wonders, the, the, word, the thing Jesus warned us against, don't take your hands off the plow and check the furrow. Right. right? You keep plowing. It's not about what was here because Paul said what's here is rubbish. It's garbage because what there, that's the mark of the high calling. And I have yet not attained it. Though I have suffered in every way seeking out the kingdom of God for Jesus Christ's sake. It's behind here is garbage and what's up there is Him. And that's what we have to have, that heart, that's the grace. So this Holy Spirit has this purpose. And in John 16, 14, He says that He will take what is Jesus and declare it to you. That's what John 16, 14 says. And the next verse says the exact same thing. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And what Jesus is saying is that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to take what is Jesus. What, what belongs to Jesus? Everything. Everything belongs to Jesus. And so what belongs to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's job is to take it from Him and declare it to you. Amen. Is Jesus poor? No. He doesn't want us to have an impoverished spirit. Is Jesus sick today? So what does He want to declare to us? Healing? Amen. Health? Is Jesus in turmoil does he stress about his relationships to his family members? Does he, is he stressed about what the father's doing? To, I don't know what my dad's doing today. It's never, there's no, none of that. And so what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to take the Prince of Peace, the King of Glory, all of his divine nature, and declare it to you. I want to tell you something. The word in the Greek, anegleo, let's just say it that way, anegelo, I don't know. I'm not Greek. Praise God. But, because, <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Jews, Jews seek a sign, Greeks seek wisdom, right? I don't have any wisdom, you know, that's why I have to pronounce it wrong. I'll be Jewish today, I won't say this. <laughs> but, so, that word, aneglio, means to completely declare something all the way through. Okay, so it's to, it's to finish a process. And so there was a process started by Jesus said, it's, it's, I began to do, and te- you know, the things that Jesus began to do and teach, Acts chapter 1 says that, but I'm going to tell you about the, the acts of the apostles because it's what Jesus continues to do Amen. and teach. So there was a process that was began. Now the Holy Spirit's job is to complete that process. So in completing that process, how did God create light? Okay. Declaration. Declaration from the Father's mouth is creation. So in John 16, 14, when he says the Holy Spirit is going to take from me and declare it to you, is he not creating in you what is in the Savior? So last week is what we came, here's our formula for walking in the Spirit, ears to hear. Over and over and over, the Bible says you've got to have ears to hear, which means... Your prejudice and your boxes have to be destroyed. Because your ears to hear are deafened by the box you build for yourself. And the prejudice you carry. And so you got to let that be shattered. And then 
But if you have ears to hear, you better believe what you heard. And can I tell you that Jesus is offended when someone who has heard shares and you discount and disbelieve it? And I'll prove it to you because in the Gospels, when Jesus has risen from the dead and the women come to the tomb and the angel declares to the women, Jesus is no longer here, he is risen from the dead. And they run back and do exactly what the angel said, which was tell the brothers that Jesus is risen. They go back and say, we saw an angel at the tomb and Jesus is risen. And those disciples scoffed. They disbelieved the person who brought the message. When Jesus showed up, he rebuked them for their unbelief. He didn't, this isn't Jesus' response to them. Guys, I'm so glad you were so discerning and wanted to seek it out for yourselves. That's how we love to do that in the church. Like, well, we don't just want to take so-and-so's word for it. And I agree. You don't just run on the bandwagon of what somebody says, but the Bible says this, test every spirit. Amen. If the spirit in them says something, then the spirit in you better pick it up. Amen. Better have ears to hear. So you can't look at the person. Again, why are we judging one another from the outward way of viewing one another as though we once viewed Jesus from that outward perspective? No longer because we're now natural, supernatural born people. So if we don't judge them by their appearance and we just listen with ears to hear, we let the Spirit tell us what's being said. And by the way, if they're sharing something, it should align up with this Word of God. And if it doesn't align up with this Word of God, then yeah, don't believe it. Absolutely. And so that's, that's where we've come to to understand. He's taking what Jesus has and He's declaring it to us because He wants to create in you mini Jesus. Conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose. Guess what? You can't conform yourself. You can't. You can't lay yourself on the chopping block enough. You can't beat yourself down enough. You can't. And if you try, you're living in the law. If you try to convert yourself and conform yourself, you are back to law trying to perform to get something from God. What God wants you to do is believe in His transformational power through the declaration of what the Holy Spirit will say in your heart and let it be built and created. You want love? You want to love people? Tell God you're bankrupt in love and tell Him to speak love into your heart, which I believe is what He's doing here this morning. I know it by the vision He had, the vision she had, the word, the worship, all of it was to say, in David's song, it's, I love you and I'm going to speak love into your heart. The places where you are having a hard time loving, I'm going to do it, and you're going to leave here different. That's what it's about, meeting with Jesus. And so, here's where we got, how we were getting to this place. Because the Holy Spirit, what people get hung up on is the gifts, and they try to differentiate, you know, but He's scary, I don't like that, I don't understand that, which is all great and fine. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to still seek and learn and discover because I was there with you. I was a cessationist. I was, I was a person who did not believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and preached against it, wrote papers against it, wrote articles against it. And Jesus Christ continued to say to me, lean not on your own understanding, but trust in me with all your heart, and I'll make your path straight. And the Lord came to me and said, Justin, when do you have to stop obeying Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? You want to write some nice papers? You want to write a nice article? When did you have to stop obeying Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? And the answer is never. I can't lean on my own understanding. Because even what I understand today, God's really good at taking me and stretching me. Saying, how's your faith? You know? I'm like, it's growing, Lord, I hope, or I'm going to snap. You know, those are my two options. And so, 
In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the gifts because the Corinthian church, and we're, we're ultimately, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to look at, at 1 Kings um, chapter 17. I'm just going to take you through a few scriptures because I like to build a scriptural background and check, check these verses, but I didn't want to have to turn you all over the Bible. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a Corinthian church, and what's happened is they started to elevate themselves based on who did what. It's, this guy speaks in tongues, this one doesn't, this one's working gifts and miracles, but ultimately all of them are getting drunk during communion. And they're, they're, they're not having compassion or love for one another, they're just eating this giant meal, <laughs> they're having a, like a Greek wedding, you know, every time they have communion, they're just overeating, overindulging, and so then they get hung up on who does what. And trying to elevate their positions. And so Paul is writing to them saying, yes, guys, these are the gifts of the Spirit. These are the things that are a blessing from God. And so he explains those in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and says there's their tongues and interpretation of tongues and words of wisdom and words of knowledge and all these things. And yet, at the very end, and he's talking about prophesying and he's talking about those things, he stops, and we have a chapter break, but his letter would have just said, but there's a more excellent way. What he's trying to do is get our attention off the fact that there are signs, there are, there are gifts, and those things are for loving people. But the whole point is, the excellent way is love. And he says, if you prophesy with the, with, with the prophecies that will amaze, if you have the words of wisdom that are amazing, if you sell everything you have and give it to the poor, but you don't have love, it's nothing. Which means you can have a gift, but you can't have love, and therefore it equals zero in the kingdom. So the really keeping in step with the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, is whatever gift pours out of you is to create love in that person because it's a declaration of what Jesus has to the person. When you prophesy a word of knowledge over somebody, do you understand that was Jesus's? You only got it because the Holy Spirit declared it to you. And you only declared it to them because the Holy Spirit loves them. You're not even in the equation. Like, it was Jesus to Jesus, and you got stuck in the middle, so you got some crown. And Jesus is saying, stop looking at it, son. Just get ready for the next one. Get ready for the next person who needs a healing. Get ready for the next person who needs sight. Get ready for the next person who's lost and needs transformation, right? That's the whole, it's, it's Jesus to Jesus transactions that he catches us in all the time and says, you are a mighty warrior, Justin. I'm like... You're doing it all. Praise you, Jesus. You know, and thank you, Jesus, that you love me enough to co-labor with me. Yes. He just likes to use us like like plumbing pipes. Yes. He just sends it through, right? We're just the pipe, you know. The fluid inside is just pure heaven to heaven, you know. And so, when we start to see that the gift is not to elevate the giver of the gift, meaning us, the gift is to love the person and direct them to Jesus. Go back to trigonometry. You know, you have this, this angle and this hypotenuse. And so what comes from heaven might come through an earthen vessel and go horizontal to another one, but it's to get that one to go straight in a hypotenuse back Amen. to Jesus. Amen. So trigonometry does matter, even in, even in church, boys. Three, four, five. Three, four, five triangle. Math is later. All right. So 1 Corinthians 13. What does it say? Love never fails. Love never fails. You know what? Everyone in this room who operates in the gifts are going to fall short at some degree and level. The Bible makes it real clear. If you prophesy, you prophesy in part. 
I've gotten it wrong before, and I'm okay with that. When I got it wrong, I didn't stop. Oh, I should never prophesy again because, oh man, Jesus is really ticked off at me. He's, he's the God of grace. He's the one who told me, practice the gifts. Because why? I'm on a planet in a fallen world with a fallen creation, and He loves faith. I operate and prophesy by faith. He loves that. He didn't say, prophesy exactly and I'll be pleased. He said, have faith. Faith pleases me. So if you move in faith, keep moving that way, and that will bless the Lord. That's why when people get it wrong, but their heart has been directly toward Jesus, we're not to stand back and go, ha, oh, false prophet, you got it wrong. Because that was Old Testament. Yes. We now have the spirit of grace, the new and living way, which says, when you get it wrong, if your heart's set not to indulge yourself and to blow yourself up, but to do something for the behalf of Jesus Christ, then we look at one another and say, keep practicing, brother. And that's why the New Testament said, Anyone who prophesies is subject to the spirits of the prophets. So when someone comes in a meeting and starts to prophesy or make a declaration or make a statement, guess what? The Holy Spirit's in a whole bunch of people in the room. You know that wasn't the case in the Old Testament? That's why it was so dangerous and so deadly. Is that when a prophet came to town in the Old Testament, there were no other Holy Spirits to listen. So that was the voice of God to a bunch of people who had to take that man's word for it. They didn't have an inner working of the Holy Spirit to say, ooh, that doesn't line up. See, that's why it's so dangerous for the Old Testament problem. God said, you're prophesying peace, and it's not peace. It's calamity that's coming because I'm going to judge. But He said, this Old Covenant is like rubbish compared to the New Covenant. Because now, and you prophesy, you got a whole bunch of Jesus that's listening to what you're saying. And when that's the case, that person who gets in error, it's not to condemn the person in error, it's to build up the person in error and say, grow in what you're doing, but think about this scripture. Think about this word that the Lord said here, because you've got part of it, and guess what? Apollos had to have that lesson, because Apollos was teaching, and then, and then they had to go, Priscilla and Aquila, and they had to go and tell him, they're like, you're, you're preaching, but let's sit down, son, because there's some things you're not, you're not completely coherent with, Right? It's okay to be corrected in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We need that correction. And so love never fails. So why do we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I've been struggling with pain in my foot for a long time. And I believe completely in divine healing, without a doubt. And I believe this foot is being healed. I believe that when I said that when you lay your hands on and you believe they shall recover, I know that I will recover. But here's how the enemy works. And this was a revelation God gave me yesterday morning. And then he told me to share it with y'all. And so I wanted to do that just to be obedient um, to him. And I, I just wrote this as he gave it to me. He said this, Be not troubled. And by the way, this is subject to the spirit of the prophets. So if there's something in here, I'm not immune to if you hear something that's out of line, don't think that I can't be corrected, okay? But I believe this was from Jesus. He said this, Be not troubled. Neither be dismayed over circumstances of today. Circumstances have a tendency to preach finality. And if you're not awake, you will be put to sleep by that finality. I am not restricted by circumstances. And therefore, my power to break through into your circumstances is what gives hope. Amen. Hope does not disappoint. Today's circumstance 
is tomorrow's victory stance. Circum is that which surrounds you. There you find a message from earth and darkness that is final. Oh, but how I long for your faith to strengthen and for your faith to preach so loud that no matter where you stand and no matter what surrounds you, still you stand in victory over what surrounds you. This is the value of my spirit's baptism. Immersing you in me, so no matter where you stand on earth. And then the Lord spoke something uh, personally to me, and I'll just skip over that. But then He said this, I have declared to you, having done all, to stand in my armor. Elijah laid down and did not stand, and there he found pain and ran. What, what was surrounding him preached finality, and thus he took matters in his own hands to the point of exhaustion, even after I had proven my victory over and over to him. You and Elijah, and that's you and Elijah, and me, are the same, merely men in need of my victory. So I'm telling you that faith, hope, and love are essential to your continual victory. Faith causes you not to lose heart. Hope is your expectation of good. It's your confidence. So your faith, no matter what surrounds, is in me. As I can move at any moment and will, which then fulfills your hope. And by that, you know my love. Love is the greatest. It is the outcome of your faith and your hope. So do not lose heart, no matter what circum you have. Take a victory stance, and your hope will not disappoint, and my love will fill you full. And, you know, so as I thought, circum, you know, the circumstance, what we end up doing is people, and Jesus told me that, you end up standing in the middle of what surrounds you, and everything you look at is preaching to you. And you're thinking, this is how it's always going to be. And I kept thinking about that, my pain in my foot. The enemy wanted me to look at the pain that was in my foot and say, you've prayed for healing, you've had people lay hands on you, you've had disbelief, and you don't have any results. Therefore, it's going to be like this. See, it's preaching to you that that's how it's going to be. And in Jesus' life, nothing was how it seemed it was going to be. And it's still the same today. And so what He wants me to do is to say, no matter what... I'm standing in victory. And that's the power. See, I can't do that without the Holy Spirit. I can't do that without the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24, it talks about the Jews and the Greeks, and then it says, for Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you hear people in the church start saying, where's the power? Where's the power? Just tell them, Jesus! And then Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said, I don't want to empty the cross of its power and preach with eloquent words. You want the power of God for signs and wonders? Preach the cross. He said that. It's the gospel. That's what we go back to, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the power. And here's what's beautiful about Jesus. He will break through your circumstance, because He said this in John 16, 33. Take heart. Well, first He said, in this world you will have thalipsis. Great tribulation, great pressure, great difficulty, great trouble. But take heart, I overcame the world. 
So I need the Holy Spirit because he goes to Jesus and said, Jesus, that stuff about overcoming the world, I need to declare that to Justin right now. Boom. Jesus overcame the world. Boom. My circumstances just blew up and God stepped in and overcame whatever obstacle was hindering me by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's immersing every circumstance, every situation in who He is. So when that happens, where am I standing? I'm standing in victory. Right? So He's taking what's from heaven, giving it to me, creating it in my life. But then He says He's the wisdom of God. God doesn't just like to break you through your obstacles. He likes to keep you from your obstacles. Amen. So he'll, make you, he'll help you overcome what's in your way and then tell you how to stay from getting that thing back in your way. Because we're the ones that are usually the worst at doing it. So he's the wisdom. You want, you want wisdom? You need Jesus. You've you got to have the power to overcome obstacles because sometimes the enemy puts obstacles in here. Some sicknesses are not from us at all. They're just from the enemy attacking us. Yes. I had an Achilles tendon where I could not step on it when I went to the Azusa Street Revival for two days. It swelled up. My aunt, I didn't do a thing. I was laying in bed and woke up and could not walk in L.A. And I was like, my wife prayed over it. It felt like a dog was like chomping down on my Achilles tendon. I limped around Azusa Street Revival for 15 hours, swelling, getting bigger. And I'm like, I'm in Azusa Street. I just watched a guy stand up out of a wheelchair and walk, and God, you can't heal this? And I'm growing bitter, and I'm growing weary, and the enemy's... Because the enemy wanted me to... I was going there to get more faith. And the enemy knew that, so I'm laying in bed. He just came and was like, I'm going to take out this Achilles tendon. And the next day, after Azusa Street, I repented that night. I went before the Lord and I said, forgive me. I believe that you are my healer. I will not be taken taken out by this. I believe in the power of who you are, and I know this is going to be healed. And I woke up 100% healed. Not like it was a little tender. I'm telling you, I could run. I even went down the lobby in the hotel and I was running. I was like, you healed me. God, you healed me. I was so excited because I needed that faith boost. You know, God knew that. And so, faith is believing that no matter what surrounds me, Jesus will break through at any moment. That's faith. I want to show you a couple things because in in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, we're going to say this together, but it says this. So now... Faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. Let's say that together. So now, faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. So how does faith, hope, and love, how do they abide in the person by the power of the Holy Spirit? If you look at 1 Thessalonians 1.3, I got you all over the Bible, I love it. I love the Bible, so... You just have to put up with it. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 Paul's writing to this Thessalonian church, but he points something out that is very critical to us as body believers. He's remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So 1 Thessalonians 3 gives us an insight into how does faith, hope, and love abide. You have the work of faith, you have a labor of love, and you have steadfastness of hope that's not in what Jesus can do. It's hope in Jesus Christ. Okay, get that. Because what we like to do is put Jesus into our agenda. And our hope 
becomes what we hope for, the outcome. But you can't go there because His ways are higher than our ways. And His ability to see and know and be perfect is so far above what we have. So our hope has to just be in Him, which goes right back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trusting in Him with all your heart. He's saying, Jesus, I don't know how you're going to get this done, but I have all hope and belief and know that you're going to do it. You get that? It's not, it's not, I know Jesus is going to do this because I'm going to dip in Cars Creek seven times and come out and be pain free. No, you know, like that happened one time. So guess what? God loves to do new things. So don't dip in the river unless Jesus tells you to, because don't go setting bushes on fire either. You know, it's, he does things and he does a new thing and a new thing and a new thing. And I love that because we have to keep walking in faith. But so that's the point of walking and keeping in step with the Spirit, is don't believe in how He's going to do it. Believe that He will do it. Period. And even in Hebrews chapter 6, He's talking about when we're immature, we have hope, we have faith toward God. It's kind of like an immature faith is God can. A maturing faith says God will. It's a change. It's a, it, that breaks your box a little. It's like, well, I don't want to put God like... Then he really has to come through. He loves that. He loves to come through. He loves to be our dad and to show himself good. He's looking for people like Moses who was like, when he says, I'm going to destroy them all. And Moses is like, God, no, Lord, don't destroy them. God loved that. He wasn't arguing. He was just saying, I know your heart. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5, just turn over, we get a second perspective on faith, hope, and love abiding. And it's in verse uh, 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So again, you have faith and love and hope, but he's distinguishing right now where these things reside. I want you to think about it. When he says you have a breastplate of faith and love, why do you wear a breastplate? What's behind a breastplate that's your heart? See, we don't come to Jesus by an intellectual knowledge. And there are many who do, unfortunately. There are many people who do come to Jesus because of what they know. But he says to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity, you didn't know me. I don't know, he says, I never knew you. See, Him knowing us is intimacy. It's love. And that is only if you confess, believe in the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth, but you have to believe in your heart that He is, right? And so it's the belief center is your heart. That's where faith arises. That's where faith is born. It's where faith comes. When Jesus, Jesus has all faith, right? Amen? Amen. Jesus has all faith. So if you need faith, You need the Holy Spirit to declare faith to you because He's going to take what's Jesus and declare it to you. And He says, anything you ask in my name, my Father will give it. So you want faith? Go to the Father and say, Father, I want Jesus' faith in my day. Declare it to me. And where He's going to speak is to your heart. And so when He speaks faith to your heart, He then is building love because now, guess what? You suddenly are aware of a relationship that you have with Him. So that love and that faith, it dwells here. But you know where hope dwells? Right here. This is your preacher. Everybody's got a preacher. Your head is your preacher. 
And the enemy attacks the head of man more than anything else because if he can tell you lies, you'll preach lies to yourself and to people around you. Your head's your preacher. And so when he says put on the helmet of the hope of your salvation, it's the same thing that was said in Ephesians chapter 6. It's part of the armor. It's the helmet of salvation. And what does Colossians 1.27 say? It says, the hope of glory, Christ in me. So the hope, and by the way, the Bible, when it uses that word hope, it means confident expectation of good. Confident. Not like, maybe, I sure hope so. We use that word really wrong. The way it's being said is like, I am confident, and I expect the good of my God, because I will live forever. That's because Christ is in me. It says, the hope of glory, Christ in me. So the hope that I have, I have to preach to myself. And here's the point. You, faith, hope, and love abiding in you in one have to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because flesh cannot preach to itself. <laughs> Ego cannot overcome itself. Arrogance cannot put down pride. It doesn't work. And so you have to have something outside, something in the power that is God, that He has given to us. The outpouring of the Spirit was for the fact that you can now take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Our weapons are not carnal in nature, is what Scripture says. But they are for tearing down strongholds. What are the strongholds? They're mindsets that you've had for generation and time and generation and time. And what God says is, I'm giving you power to tear down a stronghold and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Which means you don't even have to focus on your own obedience. It doesn't say take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Dave Fahidi. It says take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So guess what? When your thoughts are trying to get you, go back and say, Jesus' thoughts are perfect and He is perfectly obedient. And guess what? You're transformed. So you have these, you have these ways that God has, has given us this faith, hope, and love. And so I wanted to, to look at Elijah because the Lord brought him up. Everybody tracking? We're going okay? Amen. So in First Corinthians, no, First Kings. First Kings 17, we get an introduction to Elijah. Who are the two men that met with Jesus on, Mount, on the mountain? So Elijah's one of them, right? Who are the two men who never died in the Bible? Enoch and Elijah. So Elijah is a man who walked with God. He had this relationship to the, to, to the Father. And so it says this about him in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Key to this verse is, Before whom I stand. See, Elijah knew how to move on planet Earth only because he stood before the presence of the Almighty. We don't need to know anything else about Elijah, and so we don't get a lot of information about who he was, where he was from, how he got to where he's at. We have some of his genealogy. All you need to know is he knew how to, how to operate here because he knew how to stand before God. So when you, when you know how to stand before the Lord, you'll know how to operate in life. Okay, And so he says it again in, uh, in 18, the next chapter, 18 and verse 15. I'm just pointing these couple out to you. And Elijah said, 
As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Which was talking about going to see Obadiah, or going to see Ahab. And so, he's, he's the man who knows how to stand. So what happens is, God sends him to a king in Israel. I'm just going to summarize what, what 1 Kings is about. When he goes to this king in Israel, it's to declare to this king that he is outside of God's plan outside of God's will, outside of God's law. So Elijah is a restorer of law, and he's doing it by saying, because you broke the law, Ahab, you married Jezebel, you guys are worshiping false gods, you're killing your children, you're doing everything that's an abomination before God, even greater than the kings that were before you. Therefore, it will not rain on you, and famine is going to hit your kingdom more so than ever before until I say so. Which means God gave him a word that said, Elijah, it's up to you. I mean, and that's how the Lord will rest himself upon a person. It's pretty incredible if you think about it. So then this this time of, of going back to see Ahab. So now Elijah, immediately after getting that word that it's not going to rain, God sends him to the wilderness and says, go down to the brook and I'll feed you with ravens. I thought it was unique too that God is feeding him with bread and meat. So he's feeding him with bread and meat. And Jesus fed the 5,000 with bread and meat. You know, and there's this feeding that goes on that we have to partake in the bread of heaven. But he went on to say, Jesus said, you have to partake in my flesh. You have to partake if you want to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Well, that sounds pretty wild. But he's saying you have to completely consume me. So here's Elijah trusting in God, getting bread and meat consistently from the raven. But the brook dries up. So even when you're a prophet of God, <laughs> you still may have the brook dry up. just means your assignment's changing. So he changes assignments. He goes through these things. God moves in miraculous ways, raises a young boy from the dead, feeds him, takes care of him, even sends him to Zarephath, which is a Gentile community. And there in the Gentile community, he's, the Spirit of God is doing mighty things. So people are aware of the God of Israel. And so all this stuff is happening. Elijah, you know, many recorded miracles and signs that are going on in his life. And he's standing before... God in these days, right? And so he's had many, many victories. If you read 1 Kings 17 and 18 and up to 19, you're going to see the victories and the way God has shown himself over and over and over. But then in, all of a sudden in chapter 19, it's very simple, but here's what happens. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel had made prophets. They all worshiped Baal. Elijah was like, gather them all. We're going to see who's the real God. The one who consumes this offering by fire. You guys know the story. And those 450 prophets, he took them down and slaughtered all of them. And so Ahab, the king, mighty Ahab, runs back to his wife. Honey, Elijah killed all your prophets. You know. And so her, here's her response, verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a, a message, messenger to Elijah, saying, Say, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Look at verse 3. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life, came to Beersheba, which if you study that and the connection back to Abraham, it's pretty powerful, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. <clears throat> but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, Lord, take my life away, for I am no better than my father's. What is preaching to Elijah? His head. His head is sick. 
And it only got sick through one message. That's how vulnerable humanity can be to a lie. He listened to one lie. And this powerful man of God, who God had His hand on, through one lie, suddenly believed the lie and began to run. And what happens? He's no longer standing before the God of Israel. He's got His back and He's running. Right? So when you stand before the God of Israel, you'll know how to handle the lies that come your way. But even that message, and again, remember, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this baptism of the Holy Spirit where Elijah is relying upon just this relationship to God. And so it's a better covenant that we exist in. And so he's afraid, he runs, he lays down. But look at this, how the, this is the grace of God again. He laid down, slept under the broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he laid down again. So here's God's grace saying, an angel is feeding him, giving him drink, giving him this hot cake, and Elijah's like, mmm, I still want to die. You know, and he lays back down. But look at this. Who is it? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, came again a second time. Jesus came to Elijah the first time to feed him. He was recognized as an angel. But then he came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. See, you think Jesus doesn't know that the journeys are too great for us? That's why he told the eleven, Guys, you're not going to complete what you're going to complete if you don't have the baptism of my Holy Spirit. You've got to have this power. And those boys accomplished what Jesus sent them into the world to accomplish. And those boys are seated in heavenly places today, praising the King of glory. With every great and mighty reward He ever gave them, as as they throw it back at Jesus' feet and worship Him day and night. That's the same people that we're talking. They're alive right now. They're not dead. They are alive and they are praising our Savior. Right? And so... He arose, he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb to, check it out, the Mount of God. I want to show you this. It's so cool. He came to the cave, I'm going to keep reading, in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you love when God asks you questions? Because you're like, "Uh, you know. (laughs) That's how John responded, you know, in the book of Revelation. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. So here is Elijah's response to God. The God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So there's two things going on. He's saying to the Lord, here's what you have sent me to do, and I've done it. But here is the second part that wasn't what God gave him. This is the lie he preaches to himself. I'm the only one left, and they're seeking to take my life. That didn't come from God. Okay? So the man of God has a part here that's part of what God said, but all of a sudden there's a part now that's flesh. And when you see people who operate, who are Christian people, who begin to operate in what appears to be a gift, but also then can operate in the flesh, you have a good example of that right here in Elijah. Is that you can be a person who is anointed and gifted, and that God is a God that does not revoke His giftings. And you can read that in Romans. He says he doesn't take back the gifts that he gives. But you can begin to fall into the flesh and even then operate in both. And so here Elijah is saying, these are the assignments you've given me, but now here's my problem. 
And here's what he says. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Ephesians 6 says this, having done all to stand. And so here he says to Elijah, I, you know, all I want you to do is go out and stand. And then he says this, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. This is, by the way, blowing apart all your formula for the way the Spirit comes is by wind and fire. You know, like Jesus is blowing that up right now too. Because He's saying, I'm not in this fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in this cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael the king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, and Abel Mehillah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You know what the, you know what the answer to the lies of the enemy is? The voice of God. Standing before the Lord standing in His presence and receiving your next assignment. That's what it was all about. God Did, did God go down the sympathy path of, I'm so sorry, Elijah, that Jezebel got under your skin, and I understand it's hard, she's a tough woman, and uh, I know you've had a tough time in Israel, and so we just, we feel, you know, me and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, we just feel bad that you've been through so much, so just know that we really want you to be just built up right now, and that's not the answer. The answer is move forward in what I say. Period. And what we're bad at is we're bad at sympathizing with one another when maybe the one that we're sympathizing with just needs a word from God to move forward. So don't be a restrictor in the body of Christ because you think you know better than the King of Glory. Be careful with that. And that's, that's not, I'm not rebuking anybody in here or myself. I'm just saying we need to understand how the Lord works. And when the Holy Spirit wants to declare to us, here's what He said in John 14, 21. Jesus said, Whoever has My commands will keep them. And he who keeps them will be loved by My Father and I will love him and I will reveal Myself to him. Which means what? That's Holy Spirit declaring what is Jesus to you. How does it come? Because you're obeying what Jesus had said. Not because He's sympathizing with where you're at. It's because you're moving into a new place. And so, you know, again, we don't operate under this old covenant. But Elijah, we know, is a person who was obviously walking with the Lord. And had this relationship. And it's a picture for us to say, because Elijah is a picture of our flesh. 
because he's not in the new covenant. So your flesh can be susceptible to lies. Your flesh can be susceptible to fear. That's where all that stuff comes from. Why you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to consume flesh. Consume flesh. Consume flesh. Consume flesh. Consume your ego. Consume your agenda. And impart creatively. Create in you. Why did you think David said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, create in me a clean heart, O God? Because David knew he couldn't clean his heart. Create in me a clean heart. That's what we need is the Holy Spirit to do these things for us. And I, I thought it was interesting that the two men who are on the mountain with Jesus at the transfiguration, their, their greatest moments both came standing on a mountain by themselves. Moses went to where? Mount Sinai. And what did he receive? He received heaven on earth. Because there was no law, there was no way for the people to get access or gain glory or be in the presence of God. Therefore, God distributed to Moses and said, here's the way that I'll dwell with you. And he brought heaven down to them, to Moses. The people could not follow it. Jesus, God knew that. The Father knew that. But in not being able to follow it, he also then took Elijah and he took him to a mountain and said, now go back and restore the kingdom of Israel. So I'll give you the law, but now I need you to go and restore, and I'll be the one to do that. And he did, through signs and wonders, he made, he made these things come to pass. He anointed his next prophet, Elisha, who did twice as much as Elijah did. And so there's a restoration, but where did he get it? He got it on the mountain. Learning how to stand before God, Mount Horeb. So you have Mount Sinai, you have Mount Horeb, and then you have Jesus Christ, the greatest of all. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he said, we're going to the mountain. And so he had an example that God will meet with you on this mountain. mountain. And so he went up to the top of this mountain, and Elijah and Moses showed up. And again, remember we said it, Peter declared, look Elijah, look Moses, look Jesus, make three tabernacles, all three are equal. The father broke through in Peter's moment and said, this is my son, hear him. And Moses and Elijah disappeared. There was only one man standing, and it's the man of grace, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus received on that mountain, he came down and crowds couldn't wait to get near him for the new and living way, the grace of the Father that had been put upon him, the shining, the buttery glow of the transfiguration of our Savior that we now operate in because his spirit, what, you know that transfiguration of Jesus is not static? Like Dave says it all the time and I love what Dave says. He says things that were written here, they don't just sit here. They're new, they're living, they're active. That transfiguration is as real right now that the Holy Spirit would speak in your heart and say transfigured in the name of Jesus. Transfigured in the name of Jesus. We don't leave here the same people. And the Bible says don't look to what's seen. Because if you walk out of here and start trying to, do I look buttery? That's not the point. You go out in what is unseen. And you go out of this place and the love of Jesus that will be on you because He's spoken it over us today is what's going to transform the world around us. Jesus stands in victory. Here's the deal, guys. The baptism of the Holy Spirit means you never have to come off the mountain. Even in the deepest valley, you can stand on the mountain in the Spirit and say, I'm on the mountain with Jesus. And this circumstance is subject to Him and Him alone. And nothing else that's being preached over me. That's why my foot is being healed. In the name of Jesus. 100%. Not, not like partially. I believe it with all my heart. And I trust in God for that. But you know what needs more healing than this? I'm just going to be really transparent. This. I need to learn how to love. 
and I fall bitterly short over and over and over, and that won't be the case forever. That circumstance is changing too. Because God's speaking love into my heart. Love for my sons, love for the body, love for people, love for my enemies. I don't even know if I have any enemies. I don't really have any enemies. But I'm going to love them. If they show up, I'm going to love them. Amen? Dave, please share. Amen.